morning. Take your Bibles. Let's turn to John chapter 12. It is quite amazing to me actually how from Tony's thoughts that he gave on GLBI to Lance and all that he said, as well as the music this morning, the wonderful special we just had, how God has orchestrated uh, quite a bit outside of my control, certainly in the, the text that we are going to be at this morning. While we take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 12, is there anybody here that needs a Bible? We have ushers ready to hand you one. Perhaps you forgot it at home. You can certainly Google John chapter 12. We're going to be starting verse 27, so you can turn there. I also want to make mention um, this morning that Brandon and Katharina had their little one, Alexandra. Um, and so we typically would leave those to the slides to announce that. But uh, perhaps you saw a picture this morning. But they are, uh, Katharina is in the hospital this morning. Um, so we just want to take a moment to pray for her. And um, I think it seems like she's stable. But um, obviously that's concerning right after an event like this. And so we want to lift her and Brandon and little Alexandra up before the Lord this morning as we go into the word, okay? So let's do that together. Our Father, we're so thankful uh, for uh, the birth of Alexandra and for her health, for your giving life yet again. And you love life. You're the author of it. And so we uh, bring Katharina up before you this morning as the one who numbers all our days and is sovereign over all. We ask that you would uh, especially comfort the family, comfort Brandon, um, and Lord, that you would uh, heal her, help her to her blood pressure and those things to return back to normal so that they can uh, get home and get rest and, uh, and enjoy uh, the life that you have now given. Uh, we also ask that as we look into your word this morning that you would help us to understand that we have one task before us today, that is to look at the person who reveals your glory the most. And we ask that as we walk away seeing the revelation of your glory, that we would be pleasing to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We are now at the end of John's, excuse me, Jesus' public ministry here in the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verse 27. John, up until this point, has given us several groups of people to look at, hasn't he? Remember that? Uh, we have had uh, the curious Jew worshiping Jesus, coming to him, seeking an audience with him. We've had the marvelous worshiper Mary, who has been extravagant in her worship at the Lord Jesus Christ's feet. We've even had the calculating and covetous Judas. As we move through these different kinds of people and their responses to our Lord, I think it's apparent for us today that John does want us to identify with one of these groups. And hopefully we are going to look more like Mary, the one who says, Jesus, you're worth everything I have and more. Uh, hopefully, none of us in here are interested like the Greeks in just a simple moral lifestyle. Because boy, would that be empty, wouldn't it? Without Jesus. 
And certainly, hopefully, there's no one in this audience this morning that's just interested in calculating what he or she can get from Jesus, like Judas was. We saw in verses 20 through 26, the passage that's before ours to this morning, that following Jesus demands something from a disciple. It demands all our life. That's the picture that Jesus vividly illustrated when he said, a wheat seed has to die before it can bear much fruit. Remember that? Now in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to elaborate on that death. That's the task before us this morning. What does Jesus say about his death? And he spoke of it as a necessity, just like the seed having to die. And he wants to illustrate that because of his death, not in spite of it, but because of it, God is going to have much glory through him. And so the topic before us is Jesus' death, for sure. He speaks of it prior to its happening, as he has on occasion in John's Gospel. But Jesus weds a concept with his death that seems perhaps strange. It's not a concept that we would typically associate with death. Suffering? Sure. That we could understand all day long. But Jesus weds the concept of glory with the concept of the cross. Those two, my friends, are inseparable in Jesus' mind as he pursues the ministry that is now before him because he has been rejected. So, we could also say that at this point, while there seems to be a speaking of great tragedy, i.e. the cross, there is certain triumph. And those two main ideas are wed this morning. The death of Jesus reveals God's glory. So let's look. Uh, this morning at John chapter 12, verse 27. We're going to read a little bit past, don't worry, our passage that we're going to look at this morning. Um, it's one of those times that as you're studying through a passage, uh, you would develop a sermon much longer. And I know, Pastor Steve, you already developed sermons that are rather, rather, rather long. So I, I, I appreciate that. We're not going to go through what really the, the full weight in the passage could bear on us this morning. We're going to really take this passage in two parts. And uh, it was really my task this week to try to figure out where to stop and where to begin next week. But as we read, don't worry, we will not preach over all of this this morning. So let your, not your hearts be troubled, right? <laughs> Verse 27, now my soul has become troubled, Jesus said. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Remember, this hour is relating back to the previous passage, and that is what? That's the death that he's about, that he's speaking of here and about to happen. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. So right away, we see that Jesus is talking about death, and Jesus is talking about what? God's glory. The seed must die before it bears much fruit. We're going to see that play out as we read through. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. They were so 
deaf to God's glory that they couldn't even understand it or recognize it. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Verse 30, now, uh, 31, Now judgment is upon this earth, upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Verse 33 makes verse 32 the reality, but he was saying this to indicate what? The kind of death. When Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up on the earth, it was plain to the hearers that he was, he was indicating that he would die and what kind of death he would have. The kind of death he would have. The cross. Verse 34, the crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. The promised one. How can you say the son of man, and just a reminder that if we go back up to the previous passage, oh, in verse 23, Jesus says this, look at it. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour, that's the death, right, has come for who? The son of man to be what? Glorified. So we're seeing the death and the glory all being interplayed here. And the reality is, is those in the audience, remember, Jesus said the Son of Man will be glorified. How is it that the Son of Man can be lifted up on the cross and die? That's what they're saying in verse 34. Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away, and he hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. And then, understand this, verse 43, for they loved the, literally Greek, the doxa, the glory of men, rather than the glory of God. And you see, this morning as we look, as Jesus takes us to the point of the cross, he's wanting all of his hearers to understand that it is his job as the Son of Man who will be lifted up to reveal the great glory of God the Father. And so the implications for those of us who are in this room this morning that say we are Christ followers is that we are in our living, are we willing to do all that it takes even up until death for God's glory. The passage isn't calling for martyrdom like Tony spoke of this morning throughout church history. 
Jesus completely paid the price of sin. No more further debt is owed there. And certainly many have given their lives. But Jesus' point here is that he is modeling for us that our life is God's life for his glory. Our life is God's life. It's his, all for his glory. So Jesus first prays a prayer of obedience. He teaches us. And so Christ's disciples glorify God by praying according to God's purposes. That's the, the first reality of a Christ follower. If we're going to follow Jesus like him, if we're going to live a life like he did, willing to die for God's glory, we have to mimic and follow Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does in verse 27 is what? He's troubled and he prays. And so if we're going to be true Christ followers this morning, we want to give God glory through our prayer and we want to glorify God through our prayer by praying according to God's purposes. That's what Jesus teaches us. And so the first thing Jesus articulates is my soul has become troubled. It's been distressed. And Jesus isn't troubled because he's looking at physical death. No, we see in even Hebrews chapter 11 that there were so many men who were faithful, willing to die for God the Father and bring him glory. No, Jesus was willing. But why is Jesus so troubled? Remember, Jesus just came off of Lazarus' resurrection. He's not worried about death whatsoever here, folks. Make no mistake about it. We're not encouraged as Christians to be concerned about death. He's distressed because of what kind, remember? What kind of death, verse 33, he would endure. What kind of death was that? It's not, not like death that anyone in this room will ever endure because Jesus endured it for us. Amen. On the cross, what was laid on him? The Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. Amen. And so, my friends, He's troubled because of the kind of death. That's why he prays, take this cup, the cup of what? The cup of wrath for the sin debt that we all owe, not him. Take your Bibles, please. We don't have a lot of time, but this is important. Go to Isaiah chapter 53 just for a few moments. Isaiah 53 is actually uh, referenced a little later in our passage. We'll look at that next week. But understand the kind of death that is described here. And, and I want you to take the physical characteristics of what Isaiah says about the suffering servant, and I want you to understand that they are more than just physical. They are indeed physical. Make no mistake about it. But they, they are trying to illuminate the kind of spiritual struggle that Jesus finds himself in on the cross. Who's, who has believed our message? Isaiah 53, 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face. Look at verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. 
He was stricken. He was smitten of God. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Look at verse 5. He was what? He was crushed for our iniquities. Verse 6, the very end. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see the overwhelming weight that Jesus could bear and didn't overwhelm him because he's infinite. He is God. But nonetheless, this is the kind of death that Jesus would die on the cross. He was pierced. He was crushed. The iniquities were laid on him. And so that is most likely what distresses and troubles Jesus here. Because normally anyone would say, if they know that they're coming to their hour of death, we don't typically say, oh God, you know, I can't wait, let's go. Sometimes God gets us to that point in life, doesn't he? But most of us, we're not there usually. So typically, we would pray something like, save me from this hour, but that's not Jesus' intent. He said, what could I, I could pray that. That would be appropriate for anyone in a physical form to pray because they're about to come to the hour of death. But no, that's not where Jesus ends. What does he say? But for this purpose, back in John chapter 12, verse 27. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So Jesus understands, even in his prayer God's purpose for him his purpose his life's purpose why he was even sent does your prayer life display that you are more about your purposes or God's purposes say Pastor Steve I really don't have much of a prayer life that kind of demonstrates whose purposes you're about and if your praying really doesn't seem to get answered a whole lot, could I ask the question that maybe you're not praying according to God's purposes in your life? Pastor Steve, I don't know what God's purposes are. Well, God's word helps us along that path, doesn't he? Amen. And Jesus here is trying to help us along that path just a little bit because when Jesus is coming to something that seems insurmountable for all of us in this room... He says, I could be praying for, for my deliverance of this hour, but for your glory, for your purposes, O oh God. Be what? What's his prayer? What's the essence of his prayer? Be glorified. Be glorified. And so we have a, a great way to pray. In a great way to reorient our heart's purposes to the God of heaven's glory, don't we? And if that doesn't convince you, Jesus prays the will of God because what happens next? How do we know? <laughs> Look at verse 28. What happens? He prays, and immediately what happens? His prayer is answered. That's how you know you're praying according to the purposes of God in your life. When God answers your prayers. So this might not always be immediate for us, so I appreciate that. I'm not necessarily saying this is always a one-for-one, one, but then a voice came out of heaven. 
God the Father. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God says, yes, prayer answered. And how does God say that the prayer's been answered? Well, through your life, Jesus, I have been glorifying my name. You see that there? I have glorified it. Well, how, how, has, how has God glorified his name through Jesus? Let's just start at the very beginning of the incarnation. Right? Angels come. They're over Jesus. And what do they proclaim? What do they sing? Glory to God in the highest. Right? And peace on earth. So at the very beginning of Jesus' life, they're, they're, Jesus is glorifying God. Go to John chapter 2 real quickly. John chapter 2. In verse, chapter, uh, verse 11. This is Jesus' first sign, remember? And what does John say about this sign of turning water into wine? Look at verse 11 of John chapter 2. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. For what purpose? What was, the, what, what was accomplished with Jesus turning water into wine? So that people can argue whether or not we should drink wine today? Guarantee you that wasn't Jesus' purpose. What was the purpose? You laugh, but some people will turn to that passage. That's all that they want to do is talk about water and wine. No, it's for God's glory. It manifested his glory. Amen. That's what Jesus is all about all of his life from the beginning of the incarnation all the way through is so that we would behold the glory that the Lamb of God speaks about. Amen. So Jesus has been glorifying the Father, no doubt. And he will glorify the Father. That is the affirmation that God gives here. Because God, uh, Jesus even says, God didn't speak for my behalf. I didn't need that kind of assurance. Jesus knew the purposes of God already. He knew that his hour was to come and it would happen because that is what would glorify God. He didn't need to hear that from God. Who needed to hear that? Everybody else who is doubting why in the world the Lamb of God would have to die to give God glory. Why it is, according to the crowds here, that the Son of Man that Jesus spoke about would actually have to be lifted up on the cross and how it is that that actual act could actually glorify the God of heaven. Because anybody else in the world would say that is a failed religious move, that is tragedy, and there is no hope. But everyone in Jesus Christ says that is my only hope. That, my friend, is what gives God glory. So it's clear that that's where Jesus starts, that being on his knees, praying, saying, not my will, but your will be done, I would, in other circumstances, say, this hour be removed from me, but no, for your purposes, you be glorified, Father. So he starts with prayer. But Jesus models for us, Christ follower, that, that if you're going to glorify God like Jesus did, you don't just stop and start and stop with prayer. But prayer always moves to feet. Always moves to act. You always get up from your knees and you start walking on your feet after you pray. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to reorient our hearts and our minds. 
in our affections, in our love, certainly for our own selves, but mostly for God and God's glory in prayer. And then he wants us to start living that. And so Christ, Christ's disciples glorify God by serving like Jesus did. And we looked at uh, verse thir- verses 31 and 32 already in our reading, but this is what Jesus says here. He says, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. So how in the world is it that Jesus is going to give God glory through his death? He gives three reasons. The the world will be judged. The ruler of this world, who's that? We're told later on. We're told all over the place. Who is it? It's Satan. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And what's going to happen? I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to die. How is it that those things are, are going to glorify God? Well, Jesus says, he articulates these three things. And so I want to start in reverse order. And, uh, and we, we see already, we were in Isaiah chapter 52, um, 53. In Isaiah chapter 52, we see that in reverse order, sorry, my, my brain's a little jumbled here. Here we go. All right, we've got three things. Now is the judgment. Now the rule of the world will be cast out. And I am going to be lifted up from the earth. And so I'm going to start in reverse order. We're going to talk about Jesus saying, I am lifted up from the earth. And when Jesus says that, he is, he's actually, he's going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse, and verse 13. Take your Bibles, go there one, one final time. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be sorry going through the scriptures, right? But uh, just for time's sake this morning, I am sorry a little bit. But look at what Isaiah says. Because this is, what, this, is where, this is where Jews stop when they want to read about their Messiah. Do you know that? <laughs> they stop at verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. Reading the Messiah. My servant will prosper. He will be what? High and lifted up and greatly exalted. They stop there. They will not read on. Because they, they cannot understand how that is true and then how you can continue reading about how he is high and lifted up and exalted and yet have his face so marred that we can barely look at him like Isaiah 53 articulates. And so for Jesus, what Isaiah is saying is coming into play, the death and the glory. And it's obvious here that the hearers of Jesus in John chapter 12 understand that he's talking about his death, but they fail to see how he's talking about his glory. And Christ's servanthood means that he will serve unto death that will bring God glory. And that's what he's saying when he says, I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to himself. Jesus' death and drawing of men, more servants of God, glorifies the God of heaven, doesn't it? But we see that not all men will submit their lives to Jesus and to serving the Father. We see that in the questioning of the crowds in verse 34, they're not willing to submit to what Jesus is saying, right? Because, because they're, they're hearing Jesus talking about his death and they're saying what? No, our preconceived notions of the Messiah says that he's gonna what? Live forever. Do you see that? Remember that? Verse 34. They can't understand. 
that Jesus is not fitting what they understand him to be. And my friends, how many of our friends out in the, the workplace, our family members, our, our neighbors, they, they have a preconceived notion of who Jesus is, and that is a stumbling block for them to see who Jesus really is. There's no different than what's going on here. John chapter 12, when they say, Okay, so you're talking about the Messiah who's going to be lifted up, and you're talking, or, 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 or we're talking about the Messiah who's going to live forever, and you're talking about the Son of Man who must be lifted up on the cross. Are these, these must be two different people. Who are you talking are Who are the identity of these people? That's what's going on in verses 34, 33 and verse 34. And so they plainly reject the reality, they have selective hearing. They selectively read through maybe some of the Messianic Psalms. They selectively read through prophets like Isaiah. This was not a concept in the law. You cannot find this in the law that, that, that this would happen. So they're selectively reading through things and not hearing about the Son of Man that he must suffer. They have their own preconceived notions. And because of the knowledge that they have, they reject Christ as the promised one. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to draw all men to myself, he's not talking about a universal salvation. What's he talking about? Because clearly these men in front of him, they do not understand Jesus. And if they die not understanding Jesus, they will die in their sins forever. No matter if they believe that the, Messiah, that the anointed one, the promised one, will live forever or not. You can have strong religious belief this morning, but if it is not accepting who Jesus of the Bible is, you will not bring God glory. You will die in your sins. So there's not a universal call to salvation. What is the fact that, what, is, what does it mean that Jesus will draw all men to himself? Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 44. You don't have to turn there if you're overwhelmed at passages, all right? But I'll read it for you. Jesus says this No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, if you're there, what does it say? <laughs> I told you not to turn there. Now I want you to say what it draws me. You can't come to the Father unless you are drawn by God the Father. So it's true that all men who are drawn to God are drawn by God. That's what Jesus is saying. And I will raise them up on the last day. So part of the glory of Jesus' death is that it will draw men and women like you and me to himself and become servants like Christ. And let's look at the other two quickly. The other two ways that Jesus' death will glorify God. So Jesus' death glorifies God because he's lifted up at the cross draws all men to himself who will be drawn secondly the first one that Jesus articulates now verse 31 judgment is upon the world this judgment that is in view is not condemnation okay that would eventually be true but remember Jesus said I did not come into the world to what condemn the world I came to what save and that's really where we're still at but when they reject Jesus there is now a judgment that is what is that judgment? 
Well, I want to illustrate it this way. You know, in the court of law, typically you have a trial, right? At least in our country. And, and that, that, that trial, there are really two parts to a judgment. First of all, there's the judgment of innocence or guilt, right? And if there's the judgment of innocence, the judgment goes away. If there's judgment of guilt based on the evidence that is provided, then there typically is a second time before the judge, right? And that's the, that's the sentence. Now that you have been found guilty, you will now have a sentence that will really be for restitution and punishment based on the guilty verdict. And so this is like what Jesus, I think, is saying here. Now the world will be judged. In verse 19 of chapter 3, John puts it this way, or Jesus puts it this way, I said in John. This is the judgment, and I'm going to read here, basis for guilt, that the light has come into the world. And men, instead of choosing to follow the light, they what? They loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So in other words, this judgment of guilt that the world is sentenced to is based on the simple fact that God sent his son to save the world, but the world, both Jew and Gentile, reject him on the cross. And so then Jesus will, uh, or the gospel will, then go to the Gentile from here on out. So the world has been judged based on their rejection of Jesus. On the cross, the sin of the world is finally judged, and so is the ruler of this world. We see that next, that now, the judgment of the world. Now, what? The ruler of this world will be cast out. The cross looks like a triumph for Satan, but we can go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, and we're not going to do that this morning. You can go all the way back there and you can see where where God gives the first gospel saying that it would seem that his anointed, that, that the seed from Eve would be just bruised, but hurt, but bruised. But that Eve's seed, i.e. the Christ, will crush the head of Satan. And so here is the final pronouncement, that death blow, that when Christ goes to the cross, it is not a defeat, but it is a, indeed, victory. Um, And so that, my friends, is how Jesus' death glorifies God. Through the judgment of the world, through the casting out of Satan, through the fact that he is lifted up on the cross. And this is a good reminder that no, no matter how desperate and how dark and how discouraging the world is around us and how it increasingly gets so that those who serve God like Jesus did, willing to do all that it takes to glorify God, no reservations, no limits, no tapping up, that though it gets desperate, dark, discouraging, If you're serving God, mark it down. You will glorify him. Jesus gives us that way. Though it looks like defeat, if you're praying on your knees 
Father, you be glorified. And as you get up from your knees, you start walking, saying, Father, you be glorified in my life, no matter what it looks around you. You can be sure that God will be glorified if you're following like Jesus. So we see that God, that Jesus gives us a great example in prayer. He gives us a great example as a servant. Now Jesus gives us a great example through his invitation. Because though the judgment of the world is now, though Satan will be cast out, though Jesus will be lifted up, what does Jesus do? He doesn't stop giving the gospel. Look at verse, uh, 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 sorry, finding it again, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, what? For a little longer, the light is with you. Jesus has used this figure of light. God has used the figure of light often in the Old Testament as a fundamental expression of spiritual reality. The glory of God, even. And Jesus is that light that is now present to expose the darkness. And again, Jesus calls people to accept him by using this figure of light. So we see that there's spiritual opportunity here. Jesus says there's a little while longer. While the light is with you, come to the light. There's spiritual opportunity. This light represents illumination. It's the ability to see and perceive things spiritually. For these people around Jesus, the opportunity was coming to a close quickly. Jesus knew that he had to press his hearers yet again for the truth. And in fact, this passage is the final close of Jesus' public ministry. After that, we won't see him with the crowds anymore until his crucifixion. And so, as we look to the end of this passage that we're going to be at tonight, verse 36, excuse me, this morning, verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light, children of light. So we have an understanding that as Jesus is interested in, in giving the gospel, as long as he is able, so too should his children of light do Never get tired of giving the gospel. Never get weary of it. Never get overwhelmed by the rejection. Because if you want to see someone rejected, just go to your Savior. But in his rejection, he gives us a call to sweetly, persistently, vibrantly, patiently, Lovingly live the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's spiritual opportunity that he gives us there. There's also spiritual life. He says, while you, while you walk, or excuse me, while, uh, let's read it, while you have the light, what? Walk in the light. Walk while you have the light. And walk is more than just an observation or even ascent. It is an action. It is a choice. It is movement in a direction. It is here representing having faith, subscribing to the light. This action faith is the difference between knowing about Jesus 
and believing in him. Now, faith is a work of God for sure. It's not, it's not as if I can walk and have faith and produce that faith in and of myself. No, Jesus, Jesus says that all men who are gonna be drawn are drawn by the Father. We understand all those things theologically, but nonetheless, it is true that if you are in Jesus, if you are light, you will walk in the light. You will not walk in darkness. Faith looks like something. It is demonstrable. It changes you. And so faith is in action here. There's spiritual opportunity and there's spiritual life. Light, live it, look like it. But then Jesus also calls to those who are spiritually dead. He brings up the reality of spiritual death. For a little while longer, the light is among you. While, while there's light, walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. Every man and woman has the impending reality of death impressed upon their heart. Jesus is not interested in mere physical death here. He is interested that those who are in darkness do not stay in darkness, that those who are spiritually dead will not, be, uh, will not die in their spiritual death, but will come to him in life. And of course, he stands in contrast to spiritual death. He is the light of the world. So I just want to ask you this morning, are you here, and do you know Jesus, the light of the world? Because a hallmark of those who do not know Jesus, who are spiritually dead, look at this, are also spiritually blind. That's what Jesus ends with. He says, those who are in darkness will walk in darkness and do not know where they go. They do not know the assurances of eternal life. We often articulate it this way to people. Do you know where you're going when you die? They do not have the ability to, to spiritually navigate. They are, they are in 2023 without a GPS. That's not good. They are lost. And the word of God is not a road map to their life. They have no road map. Their road map is constantly changing based on the whims The other amazing truth Jesus unpacks here, and this is where we're closing, is that when you believe in the light, you become sons of light. We already mentioned that. And when Jesus talks of the family connection, he's referring to the fact that offspring reveal something, don't they? I mean, think about that in the natural world. Right? Breeders, breeders selectively breed horses, dogs, whatever it is, and they can make a ton of money based on the characteristics of the parents. In the natural world, that carries over to the spiritual world where the children of God reflect who their father is and the son demonstrates those things. We are sons of light. Here Jesus is saying, if you walk, if you have faith in the light, you will be sons and daughters of light. You too will reveal God's glory as you pray and bend to the purposes of God. You too will bring God glory by being a servant by putting God's purposes above your own, by being willing to do the cross work just like Jesus in your own life, you too will bring God glory as you passionately and patiently and lovingly, persistently invite those to come to the light of life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Our Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us to understand so much here in this passage to articulate, but the truth of the matter is you have paved the way for us to glorify the Father through your life and your death. You have showed us overwhelmingly that the purposes that we ought to have ought to be to give God glory. So, O oh Lord, as we pray, as we grow in our prayer life, help us to grow, to be in tuned, and to bend our own hearts to know what glorifies you and to pray for it. Father, as we, as we live our life, as we get up from our knees and start walking, Help us to put our own self aside and help us to be a true servant just like Jesus. Help us to die to ourself. Lord, help us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to, to in every area of our life, be a servant just like Jesus is willing to give God glory no father help us not to give up on the lost help us not to get distracted and about all the things going on in this world help us to remain patient to understand that those who are in spiritual darkness are blind and they do not know where they go and that if it weren't for your drawing, we would be the same. Oh, and help us to be sons and daughters of light. To live and to speak your truth, your love. That men and women would come to you and become themselves sons and daughters of light. Lord, we pray for your glory. And it's in your son's name we pray.